Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we uh, worship you tonight. We confess our belief that the Lord Jesus is the light of the world and the light of our life. He is God's gift to us. And because of that gift, because of that light, we have the opportunity to know God and to gather here in his presence and worship him and give him thanks. Lord, we give you this this moment. We give you this hour to bring gifts, to bring songs. God, to bring our devotion to your word. We want your light. We want to enjoy your gift. Lord, I pray also that we realize you've not given us this gift to hoard. You've not given us this gift to consume. But you've given us this gift to carry. To carry out into the world. To carry the light. You've called us to be the light with you. To shine people to where the gift is. Lord, we want to do that. We want to do that effectively. We want to do that faithfully. Lord, we know that this Christmas season, people are a little bit more wondering about spiritual things. Lord, I pray for each of us in here that we will have an opportunity to be light. In our neighborhood, in our workplace, with a friend, that that we'll have at least one opportunity to be our light. To be the light. To tell our story. God, I pray that all of us might have an opportunity to see somebody come into eternal life, into a relationship with Jesus Christ through our life and through our witness. Oh, Lord, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen. Amen. Got a scrapbook here with me tonight. It's, uh, It's a real scrapbook. One right from my home here. You know, when you open a scrapbook, you don't open it to be surprised, do you? You just say, I'm going to, I'm going to open the scrapbook and see what surprises are in there. And I look at, oh, when, four kids? When did I have four kids? When did this happen? No, I don't open up a scrapbook to be surprised. And, and you know, when I go through my scrapbook, I'm not necessarily trying to learn something. Oh, those are my kids. Okay, I thought they were other people's kids. Those are mine. Okay. Oh, and that's where we went on vacation. No, I, I don't open a scrapbook to be surprised. I don't open a scrapbook to learn. I open a scrapbook to remember. I open it to remember and, and, and to appreciate. You know, I want us to think about that and how we open a scrapbook because tonight we're going to open a biblical scrapbook. And we're going to look at some snapshots of Christmas. Now, this book, unlike this book, always has the potential to surprise. And it always has the potential for us to learn something, even when we've looked at it many times before. But, you know, the reason I I want you to think about a scrapbook, because when we come to the Christmas passages, it's easy for us to say, "I, I know this story. I, I, you know, before I even start to read the passage, you, you know where it's going. You, you know what it's going to say. I've seen this. I already know this. That's okay. That, 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 that's all right. J- just like when I open a scrapbook. I've already seen this. I already know this. But I can still remember. And I can still appreciate. And, and as we come to these biblical passages of Christmas, while we still have things we can learn, It's okay that we already know the passage. It's okay that we've already heard this a lot of times. We still need to open it up and remember. 
and, and, and appreciate. Boy, we need to remember. I don't think there's a day of our life on this planet that we don't need to remember just how much we are loved by God. First John chapter four, verse nine says God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son. We call it Christmas into the world that we might live through him. Gosh, my my love, my life is in this gift that you and I celebrate as Christmas. Now, what we're going to do the next couple of weeks is we're going to look at some snapshots, some photos, if you will, of Christmas. We're going to look at a snapshot that that Matthew took tonight. Next week, one that Luke took. And then, although not usually looked at as a as a gospel that has the Christmas story, we're going to look at a snapshot that John took of Christmas. So even though we're familiar, let's not tune it out. Let's look. Let's remember and let's appreciate. Would you turn with me tonight to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you tonight, I hope you'll use one of ours there in the pew and study along with us. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Matthew 1, verse 18. It says there, The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. In, in this culture, engagement was actually a legal, a legal binding contract. And, and, and where in our culture, you know, if you decide somewhere after engagement to, uh, you know, to not get married, you know, you just throw the ring at them and go out crying and it's over. But uh, in this culture, it actually meant a divorce. So that's what that that's what that's referring to there. Verse 20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is. And here's these four words again by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. And these eight verses probably give us the most succinct picture, the most uh, tiny picture of this story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Just eight verses. And we're not only we're just only two verses into it before we see that the strange, before we see the miraculous, before we see the supernatural. Now, the passage starts off and, and in this day and age, marriages were arranged. Mom and dad would get together with another mom and dad and they would talk about their son and daughter hooking up and they would agree. They would actually negotiate a contract. That contract was signed and then they were, and again, in our terms, we would say engaged. They were legally married, but they would not consummate 
the marriage. They would not come together as man and wife. The son would go back to his father's house and and add on to the house. He would build the part of the house that that he and his new bride would live in. And the bride would go back with her family and they would stay apart for about a year. And it was in that year that the purity of the bride was proved if she pops up pregnant any time during that year, then the contract was void. They would no longer be married. There would be a divorce. And, you know, you read this verse about him, you know, being a righteous man and he doesn't want to disgrace her. So he's going to kind of divorce her secretly. That sounds so shady, doesn't it? Almost shameful. He could have taken her to the public square and had her stoned. So you see, he really is doing something pretty good right here. I anticipate, I believe, while this is an arranged marriage, that he knew Mary. He probably appreciated Mary, may have loved Mary very much. I'm assuming by the very fact that God chose her, that she was a woman of, of, uh, of, of good reputation. She was pure. She was godly. She was somebody that Joseph would have respected, would have been excited about having the opportunity to marry. But she's, she's pregnant. Gosh, what a blow. And, and then as if that's not enough, and of course it's very important that we see here twice, it says there's a, a way she became pregnant. You see those four words, by the Holy Spirit. But still, she's she's pregnant. How does Joseph respond to that? How do you respond to that? What do you think about that? I mean, she's she's been with another man. What does he do? And, and, And not only does he learn that his bride, somebody he anticipated marrying, somebody he's excited about, not only is she pregnant, but now she brings this story about having conceived by the Holy Spirit. I mean, what does that mean? Well, what am I supposed to do with? How do I explain that to my mom and dad? Who's going to believe this? And that's where we come to this place where he's going to, you know, just try to take care of this as quietly and as gently as he could he goes back to the to the house obviously he's disturbed he's he's upset you know what's he going to do now but what does he do he goes to sleep goes to bed he's tired but he's not in bed very long before what happens and an angel wakes him up joseph She's telling you the truth. God put that baby there. That's up. You know, that's not hard for God to do. Does anybody here believe that's hard for God to do? I don't. But it's sure hard to understand. <laughs> it's sure hard to get our mind around that. It's sure hard to try to figure out how we're going to explain that to somebody else. But the angel comes and says just that. You know, when you think about the enormity of trying to believe in something like that, and I, I don't think there's been a lot of virgin births in humanity. I, I'm only aware of one. We're reading about it. But should Joseph have been totally surprised? Should he have been totally shocked? I mean, I, gosh, I'm trying to imagine myself in that situation. I'm thinking, yeah. But, but remember, in the Hebrew faith, in the Jewish religion, they were anticipating, they were expecting a Messiah. 
And, 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 you know, the average Jew being brought up was trained in the scriptures. They they learned the scriptures. They would have learned about the Messiah. There was prophecies that pointed to them. And one of those prophecies we see here, it comes out of Isaiah 714. It's from 700 years earlier. And look what it says there. She, she, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will name him Emmanuel. Has not God planted the idea that there will one day be a virgin birth? And I would imagine you could go throughout Jewish history up to that time and say, do you believe in that? Well, yeah, I believe in that. You know, it's interesting. I, I think we're getting a little insight into humanity right here. You and I will say, I believe in the supernatural. I believe in God. I, I believe he answers prayers. I believe in miracles. Oh, yeah, I, I believe I'm looking for that. But then when, when we get outside of that context of of church or reading the Bible, and we get out there in the real world. We really don't look for God to do something unique. We really don't do something to to be to see God do something supernatural or special. It never crosses Joseph's mind even for a moment. I mean, I think I still have a hard time believing it, but not even for a moment to say, hey, God pointed to this. Could, could this be it? Never even asked the Lord about that. By the way, Jesus did fulfill, fulfill 60 major prophecies in his first coming. 300 prophecies together about how what would happen in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, over 300 prophecies fulfilled. Some of those prophecies like this one were 700 years old, some maybe four or five hundred years old. Others is fifteen hundred years or more old. That's a long time, isn't it? You can forget some of these things. You can stop looking for them. But it did happen, didn't it? Just like God would, just like God said, every single one of them, not most of them, not not the 300 is not 300 of 328. No, Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy exactly like it was written. Now, what does that say to you and me today? What are we waiting for? We're not waiting for the first coming of the Lord. We're waiting for the second coming of the Lord. And you know what? A lot of prophecy has been given about that. And it's been a long time ago. It's easy to stop looking for it. It's easy to stop expecting it. But you know what? If you're a gambling man, I'd say he's coming back. And I say it's going to look exactly like it's written. Because that's what happened in the first one. Let's get back to Joseph. Joseph goes home, goes to sleep. This angel wakes him up, says, God put that baby there. And You are to marry Mary, and you are to name that baby Jesus. You are to name that baby Yeshua. The the, the word literally means salvation. He is going to be a savior. He's going to be a rescuer, this baby that God has put in Mary's tummy. Rescuer, a savior, that's cool. What are we being rescued from? What are we being saved from? You know, I know we know, you you know what I'm getting ready to say. I, I want to give the obvious answer, though. I want to look at this another way. What do we need to be rescued from? Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what we need to be rescued from. Are, are we really aware 
of how serious an issue sin is? Are we really aware of the the distance, the separation between unholiness and holiness? You know, I'm confident most of us in here, if not 100 percent of us, would say I've I've sinned. I I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. I, I think all of us would confess to that. But are we aware of what a serious condition that is? I'm not sure we we really are all the time. I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. But gosh, everybody is. I mean, how bad can that be? You know, I I don't think we see how serious God takes sin. What does God think of our little lies? What does God think of my withholding forgiveness? What does God think of my anger, my bitterness? What does God think of my impure thoughts? You know, I've been doing a thing each night during the pageant as I conclude that with the gospel. And I answer that. You know what God thinks of those things? Look at the cross. Why do we have to see all that horror, all that ugliness, the violence? Why do we have to see all that blood? It is that picture. It's that portrait. It's that snapshot that tells us that's what God thinks of my little lie. That's what God thinks of it. We need a rescuer. We need to be saved from the serious condition of our sin. And the miracle of all miracles, the offended sends a rescuer to the offender. Thought about that? The one who's been offended, the one who's been transgressed against, the one who's been grieved, that's the one who sends our rescuer, who sends our Savior. As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews also said this in the same chapter. He says that that we have been made holy. We've been made holy by the sacrifice of the body of that little baby in the manger. You know, that comfortable, that neat little precious baby, that little baby, that body was broken. It was sacrificed so that I could be made holy. That baby rescued me from my condition of unholiness and the consequences that go with that. What an incredible gift. We've been rescued. This is Yeshua, the Savior. This is salvation. He's rescued me from sin. That's the gift of God in my life. But, you know, this passage is not just about what we're being rescued from. Man, we're being rescued from an awful future. We're being rescued from certain destruction. We're being rescued to salvation, to forgiveness of sins, to eternal life, to a home in heaven. Man, that's that's what we're being rescued to. But it's not just about the future. It's not just about rescuing us from a bad future and to a good future. This passage says something about a gift for our present. Look at this name, Emmanuel. We don't have to study the Hebrew to see what it means. Matthew tells us right there what it means. God is with us. Man, God is going to live right with us. He's going to reside with us. We're going to know God's presence. You know what? When you and I hear that, that's not earth shattering. Because that's really all we've ever known. Whether you've been a a, a believer for two weeks or 27 years, you were told to invite Jesus where? Into your heart. 
Invite him into your life. God is God is with you. God is around you. But folks, that that statement right there rocks the world of a Hebrew mind. Because God was not present with them like that. You see, God's not neighbors with unholiness. God doesn't take up residence with sin. But you see, now Jesus has come. This wasn't true before Jesus has come. Now that he's come, we've been washed clean. We've been declared holy. And now God can live in us. But a Jewish mind would have never thought that way. As a matter of fact, when they thought about the worship of God, when they thought about the presence of God, you know where that was? It was over there. And I wanted to stay over there. It was over there when Moses time, it was over there in the tabernacle. Once they got into to Israel and Jerusalem, then it was in the temple and it was in the holy of holies. I tell you, listen to this. This is a good passage. Give you the mindset, the Hebrew mindset of the presence of God. This comes out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. It says, all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountains surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us. You hear that? I don't want, I don't want him talking to me. I don't want him coming near me. It scares me to death. You speak to us or we will die. Now Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid. For God has come to test you so that you will fear him. That's interesting. Don't be afraid. God wants you to be afraid. You know, that's a, that, those two words right there together really show. Because, you know, you hear this all throughout the Bible. Fear the Lord. And it's not about being afraid to see Him, being afraid to go near Him. Fear, as you've heard me say, is that idea of respect. It's that idea of awe. Fear is that idea. You know what? One day I really am going to have to stand before God. And in light of that day, it will affect how I live right now. That's the fear of the Lord. I I absolutely anticipate having to answer for my life so I live like it. That's the fear of the Lord. So you see that here that afraid and fear do not are not the same thing. But verse 21 and the people remain standing at a distance as Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So that, that was the Hebrew concept of the presence of God. Man, it, it's over there and I want it to stay over there. Man, they'd never been promised the eternal presence of God in such a personal and intimate way. But you see, with that gift of Jesus that rescues us from unholiness, that rescues us from the conditions of unholiness, we've now been declared holy and God takes up residence inside of us. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 3.16 says? Paul says there, don't you know? Man, you're the sanctuary of God. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. And that's intimacy, isn't it? God's not this, you know, this being that I can't get near, that, 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 that doesn't want me near. No, God has not only rescued me, but He has done a work in my life so that I can come near, so that He can come near, so that we can have this very personal relationship. Man, Christmas is the gift of God's love that, that saves us. Christmas is the gift of God's presence. Have you thought about that? The gift... Of God's presence, presence that he would literally take up residence in my life. What an awesome gift. Now, how, how do we respond 
you got to respond to a gift, don't you? You, you write a thank you letter. Uh, you, you maybe give a gift in kind. Maybe, maybe one thing we do is, is you use the gift. You know, somebody gives me like article of clothing. Somebody gives you a sweater. What are you going to try to do? Especially if you like it. You're going to try to wear it in front of them, aren't you? Oh, I know I'm going to see them today. I need to put on that sweater. I want to show them how much I like it. I want to show them how much I appreciate it. We're going to look for a way to respond to the giver with the gift that's been given us. Well, let's look at our snapshot of Christmas here by Matthew. What's the response we're shown? Well, it's, it's one of faith and obedience. See, Joseph believed. He believed what the angel said. So therefore, he went and he married Mary. Was it comfortable to marry her? Probably not. So why, why wouldn't it be comfortable? You know, folks, when we read the Bible, don't remove it from reality. Don't, don't make it some kind of world where, where people were different and, and things were... No, they're people just like us. You've got a little small town here, very conservative, a religious town... They, they know when the engagement was. They know when the belly is coming. They can do the math. They, they know what's going on here. I mean, one of two things has happened. Either Joseph and Mary together have been immoral before the time, or Mary was immoral with another man. Either way, it's very uncomfortable. There would have been talking. They would have been looked down upon. It was uncomfortable to obey. But he obeyed. Why? Because he believed. You know what? We separate those two things. We, we separate faith and obedience. That's not biblical. Faith and obedience are two sides of one coin in the Bible. But, but we separate them. I mean, I, I will say, you know, I believe in Jesus. Absolutely, I believe in Jesus. Believe He's the Son of God, came in a virgin birth, born in a manger, died on the cross for my sins. I, I believe I've been forgiven. Do I follow them? Do I think about following them every day? Oh, oh, well, I mean, periodically I do, I guess, sure. Am I constantly driven by what does Jesus think? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? Where would Jesus go? Oh, man, I don't know that I think about it all the time. But I believe in them. You know, we have in our culture, in our society, we have an actionless faith. Our belief I mean, think about it. Look, look around the world. Look at Christianity around us. Our belief doesn't actually require anything. I can say I believe and it means almost nothing. But now for Joseph, that was not the case at all. He couldn't say, oh, I believe, man, I believe an angel visited me. Now, I ain't going to marry her. Jesus, I don't like that name. I'm going to call him Bob. Oh, the angel said marry her. I believe. I've got to marry her. Angel said, name him Jesus. Jesus. You see, faith and obedience went hand in hand. How are you responding to the gift of God's love that saved you? How are you responding to the gift of God's presence? Does, does your obedience go with your faith? I believe. Yeah, but do you obey? Well, well, what has God asked me to do? I haven't been asked to, to marry her, to name anybody anything. What's God asked me to do? Gosh, what has God asked us to do? He's asked us not to be ashamed of them, hasn't He? Didn't He say that? Don't be ashamed 
of me. Go out into the world and be my witness. Not once in your lifetime, daily. He said, don't lie. He has said, I want you to gather with other believers weekly. I want you to worship with them. And I want you to love them. And I want you to minister to them. And I want you to encourage them. And I want you to study the Word together with them. And I, and I want you all to do this together and to go back out into the world together. I want you to think about the thoughts in your mind. I, I don't want you to have these thoughts. I want you to focus on these thoughts. I want you to forgive. Folks, there's a direct correlation between our obedience and our faith. If I've got an obedience problem... I've got a faith problem. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says, How can we know if we've come to know Him? How can we know if we really have a saving faith? How can we know if we have that kind of belief that makes us a child of God? By keeping His commands. See that? You see the marriage of faith and obedience? They go absolutely together. No obedience, very little obedience, no faith. No, no faith. That means we're back to that place where it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How are you responding to the gift? I would imagine probably very close to 100% say, I believe. Does our obedience show that belief? Gosh, can you imagine this? Angels and virgin births. Joseph believed. Joseph obeyed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do not want to be a people who proclaim faith, who proclaim beliefs. But that doesn't match up with obedience. Oh, Lord, we we believe in such wonderful things that, that you have rescued me from hell. You've rescued me from the consequences of unholiness. You've given me life. You've made me your child. You've made me a co-heir with Christ. I've got heaven as my future, as my hope. You've given us such wonderful things to hope in, to believe in. God, may our beliefs inspire great obedience. May there not be a divorce between our faith and our obedience, but a great marriage. Lord, thank You for this snapshot of Christmas that challenges how we're responding. Thank You for Joseph's life. Gosh, I looked there and I can't help but imagine it wasn't necessarily comfortable to obey. It's probably hard to explain that obedience. But he believed. Lord, may we be that people. We believe. And therefore, we will obey, no matter the cost, no matter the discomfort. Because, because the gift 
is so worthy of it. Oh, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.